Hello, everybody, and welcome to First and Goal, the hardest hitting up and coming ACC and SEC football podcast on the internet today. It is Tuesday, June 14th, in the year 2022. And today, once again, we have another great portfolio, if you will, of football to discuss. It's a great day to be alive and discuss football and talk some recruiting, talk some Virginia Tech spring film, and a little bit of other news around the league. But before we get into that, as always, i got to introduce my co-host, D1, the only, Big Rob. How's it going, everybody? Another beautiful day in the neighborhood, even though it is hotter than Satan's butt crack. Man, you don't know what hot is. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> oh, but yes, sir, we got a lot of great news coming at you today. And uh, yeah, we're just looking to get into it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A lot of good things going on. That Virginia Tech spring film, I'm excited to discuss that with each and every one of y'all. Been following this team with Brett Pride, new head coach, coming in there. Brought in a... I would have to say at least a four-star, four out of five stars supporting cast with them, with assistant coaches. And they really, from the time spring practice kicked off, the team looked incredible all the way through spring practice, spring game, then summer workouts, everything else. Man, it's just really been impressive, a culture change. I can't wait to discuss that. But before we do, I want to discuss a little bit of this news you got coming out of Columbia, South Carolina. Yes, sir. Good old Columbia, South Carolina. You talk about a weekend that Shane Beamer and company actually had on that Sunday, man. It was coming out like, I don't know what, man. Quick, fast, in a hurry. The news, the welcome homes. I mean, you couldn't lay your phone down for two seconds without getting notified of something going on. Yeah, yeah. Shane Beamer, man, he's had a lot of recruiting ties over the years with a lot of different universities. Always been sort of the leading role in a lot of great programs with their recruiting over years. So that's what he did in Columbia for years and years was recruiting. Mm-hmm. And he apparently has not lost his touches. I think he announced four commits Sunday after a big weekend of recruits coming in there. Yes, sir. There was four welcome homes. And after he announced the first welcome home, he retweeted it with the quotations of buckle up. And when I saw that, I texted Ben, I said, Bo, I said, we about to be in for it. Because when Shane Beamer says get excited, it's time to get excited. Yeah, absolutely, man. Once You got to give him that. He's uh, really good with social media. And once he tells you stay tuned or buckle up, you already know it's going to be a great day for recruiting. It's going to start pouring in like hotcakes. Oh, yeah, man. So the first notification came out, and he then retweeted. And not only about 20 minutes later, there was a second welcome home. Ten minutes later, it seemed like a third welcome home. And finally, at the end of it, he said, y'all thought we were finished? Here's the fourth welcome home. And man, I tell you what, he did bring a cast with him. We already know who three of the welcome homes are. There's still one unknown out there. The first we're going to talk about is Cameron Upshaw. He's a three-star defensive back. That's always great to have, man. Uh Three-star and defensive back, normally you go one through five in your star rankings or zero-star walk-on player at a lot of these universities. But when you get defensive backs in that sort of position, it's not like quarterbacks where there's a ton of four-stars throughout the country and a bunch of five-stars and stuff like that. You can get a three-star defensive back, and they can very well still be in the top 15, top 20 in the league. So – Getting a three-star defensive back to come in South Carolina, Torrey and Gray, those guys, they're always turning out great defensive backs year in, year out to the draft. Last year you lost Jalen Foster. This year it looks like you're going to lose um, – oh, hell, what's his name? I can't even think of the young man's <laughs> name at the damn second. I apologize for that, y'all. I was hoping Big Rob was going to save you with the phone over there. But. I mean, I can look it up for you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's actually going to be quite a few defensive backs that are going to be losing uh, probably this season as far as either seniority or, um, you know, to the draft. I mean, you're going to have a lot of talent out there. But, yeah, Cameron Upshaw, to me, just looking over some of the film that I saw, he actually reminds me a lot of a Troy Palomalu as far as the nose for the ball, the awareness, being able to stop the run, and he, the boy carries a hit stick. 
that's always a great quality to have. You get a defensive back that can really lay the wood, but he's also got a nose for the ball, like I said, able to have the hands, possibly pull off interceptions, whatnot. It's always a great thing to have. And like I said, you got Torian Gray there, South Carolina. They looked outstanding last year in the secondary for the most part. Looked really well, one of the better secondaries in the nation. So I think it'd be a great young man as a three star to bring in, do a little bit of developing. He can always turn out to be a future playmaker for you. Well, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Star power. You know, we like to see the higher star powers, man, but realistically they mean nothing when you can build a player from the ground up and really, you know, get the quality out of them that they deserve. I mean, I think it's safe to say you look at a school like Wake Forest last year. Yeah. That's not a school full of five stars. Hell, they ain't even full of four stars. And that was one of the best programs in all of college football last year. So, stars, they really don't mean a whole lot, honestly. No, they really don't. Speaking of stars, we're going to move on to our next three-star candidate. Uh, tight end Connor. Um, I forget exactly what his name was. I wrote down Connor Shaw. Must have been you know, thinking something else. But he's a tight end um, three-star coming in, and he actually looks a whole lot uh, you know, like a Nick Muse sort of you know, run blocker. Uh, but he's also got a little bit more speed than what Nick New says. Connor Cox. Sorry, Connor Cox. Good deal, good deal. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I wrote Connor Shaw. My apologies, y'all. But, um, yeah, uh, Connor Cox, tight end, three-star. Um, like I said, he's got a little bit more speed than what Nick New says and can actually get down the field and, you know, also catch the ball as well. well it's always great to have a big body tight end, especially when you're a heavy run-based pro-style offense. Because let's face it, if you're a pro-style offense, you're going to be run first the majority of the time. You're going to use the rushing game to open up holes in your passing game. So when you got a big-body traditional tight end, it works really well because he can play as an extra offensive lineman. But also in a check-down situation, kind of like you've seen with Nick Muse in the last couple of years, not more so of a vertical threat. But you at least got enough speed where you can roll out in the flat, be a little tougher for a linebacker to cover and have a reliable set of hands. So that's always a great addition to add to your team, without a doubt. Oh, absolutely, man, absolutely. I mean, hell, if you look at all the teams out there that are, you know, the up-and-coming teams or the teams that are just your traditional, you know, top-of-the-line teams, they all they all have a good tight end. And uh, tight end plays becoming important these days. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, you look at South Carolina, he's got a couple of great athletes to learn from. you got Jaheim Bell, you got Austin Stogner. And you also had a young man who showed up and showed out in spring game that we discussed this past weekend. He really showed out. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And let's go ahead and move on to the next uh, recruit, a wide receiver slash athlete. His name is Kelton Henderson, a four-star. Um, and he is actually a track star as well. He's really fast. can really get down the field. Uh, he's going to be a deep, deep target you know, coming up in, in the next season. I got you. I got you. You got his uh, size, by chance, height, and all that. I didn't write that down, but I can look it up real quick. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But, um, yeah, depending on size, he could be a great deep threat or he could be a very, very reliable option in the slot position. It all depends. But you have somebody playing track, man. I mean, great speed is becoming more and more of an asset with receivers, not only for a deep ball. But if he's got that shiftiness about him, you've seen Tyreek Hill in the NFL, man. You can get the ball, and you got that sudden burst of speed where you can really create separation from you and the defenders and split them and get in the open field and win a foot race to the end zone. So that's always a great, great asset to have in your program. Oh, absolutely, man, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to your wide receivers, you always want, you know, speed kills. Let's, let's just be honest, speed kills. So you want somebody that's a little bit quick, that can outrun man coverage or, you know, knows how to get itself open when it comes to zone coverage. And you also want good hands out there and, you know, somebody that, that can also throw a block when needed. No, no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. Like I said, that can be a really great attribute or addition, excuse me, <laughs> a great addition to your program. And I'm very excited for Carolina in that aspect. I mean, you get three big commits on one Sunday, that's always – Great news, especially after a visit, because that speaks volumes for your culture, that these guys come here to visit school. They've seen it firsthand, and that's what made them say, okay, you know what, I want to commit right here, right now. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I'm excited to find out who this uh, fourth option is going to be. Again, you know, we haven't really heard anything yet. But we do have some commitment dates actually coming up that's, you know, really on the horizon. You've got uh, quarterback four-star, one of the biggest recruits still left, and Dylan Lonergan. He's committing July 5th. That should be very interesting to find out about. Absolutely, man. Um, from what I understand, it's really between two teams right now, Alabama and South Carolina. That's pretty impressive for South Carolina. It's a program to come down between them and Alabama. So if you could win that battle on recruiting, man, that would speak volumes. Absolutely, man. Another commitment coming up June 15th, which would be tomorrow. Jalon Kilgore, safety, another three-star guy. That'd be another great addition, man, especially after losing a great safety like Jalen Foster. Absolutely. Absolutely, so. man. And another four-star running back is set to announce for July 2nd. Um Dontavious Braswell, running back. He's uh, just visited South Carolina. Uh, before he commits, he's also going to take a visit to Louisville and Boston College. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's All those are great things, man. It's great to stay on top of this recruiting. We know they're going to fall either in the ACC or SEC, so hell, that's going to be great news for us to cover. One way, one way or another, we're going to be speaking about these guys. Absolutely, man. But Go ahead. I'll say, with all that being said, why don't we uh, get out recruiting and go on to our next little topic of news. All right. Down there in the south, deep south, Miami, Florida. Got a little bit of breaking news where the NCAA begins a attempted NIL crackdown with uh, Miami. The hurricane's <laughs> down there doing a little bit of an investigation, if you will. Yeah, a little bit of investigation, man. A little gumshoe action going on down there. Yes, sir. They've gone down there and they have interviewed the billionaire booster of the Miami Hurricanes, Mr. John Ruiz. Mr. Ruiz, man. One thing I don't understand, and like me and you discussed before we went on air, is you've got folks claiming that other schools are buying their, their targets. They're buying the recruits. But, yeah, you've got Miami being down here just all quiet, you know, doing their own thing, trying to build a program. And I get it. I get it. The, Mr. Ruiz is a little bit boastful. But, I mean, he's just adding to his stock. Well, I mean, all this man's doing is showing everybody, hey, you get with my company, we can get you a good deal. Won't you invest in my company? He's not just, he does not just have deals with the University of Miami. He's also got players from the University of North Carolina mm -hmm. up there in Chapel Hill. Got a few guys from them signed on. He's got some guys from FIU, Florida International University. Yep. Got some of them signed on. So it's not just a Miami thing. Yes, the majority of them are playing for the University of Miami. But the biggest thing to just kind of chat my ass a little bit about this is we just had this whole fiasco a couple weeks ago. Where Nick Saban goes out on national television, tells the world, Texas A&M bought every player on their recruiting class. Right. They paid cash for these guys. They all came in there. Then Jimbo Fisher fires back saying, y'all portray this guy to be God. Why don't you do a little bit of digging in on him and find out how he's really been recruiting players all these years and find out the way he really does things. Yep. Pretty much telling everybody in the world, oh, Nick Saban's a cheater. Yep. And then it becomes hush-hush. And it gets really quiet. But the NCAA doesn't bat an eye on none of this. And there's no you don't you haven't heard anything about this getting looked into. But then you got a program like the Miami Hurricanes that hasn't even been relevant. No offense. Has not been relevant on a national level the last two decades. And they're gonna come in and pick on this team. Like, I don't know, it just feels kind of like, uh, feels almost like they're just trying to make an example out of somebody else and they're scared to really mess with anybody in the SEC, any of the higher-ups. Right. I mean, it, it does seem a little bit strange how everything's just kind of got swept under the rug. You haven't really heard, you know, mention of anything else. And it also seems like when it came down to 
you know, the the SEC meetings and everything, the spring meetings, they basically just like made them, made them hug it out and, you know, make them apologize to each other and then just go on about business. You haven't really heard anything else about it. It's just kind of, kind of odd. I agree. And I just, the way I look at this is, I don't know to me, it almost gives off a little bit of a vibe. Like, is the SEC almost outgrowing the NCAA, so to speak, where the SEC is becoming more so of its own brand and its own league? That's kind of what it seems like, to be perfectly honest with you, man. And I mean, that goes back to the SEC talking about wanting to do their own um, playoff. It kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of a bully situation where you got a bully that's going around and picking on everybody, and all of a sudden the kid is getting picked on. Kid hits puberty. <laughs> kid, kid's nuts dropping. He puts on some muscle, and all of a sudden he's bigger than the bully. Bully can't push him around so no more. Right. So now all of a sudden he's got to go find the next little kid. The next little kid to mess with. Yeah. Like, well, I can't mess with you, so I got to find somebody that I know. I can mess with. Right. It's just, I don't know, it's a very strange situation down there. It really is. It really is, man. And all of this over a, from what I've read, it's all about a basketball prospect that was brought in, uh, you know, two or three months ago that signed a enormous NIL deal with Ruiz. And now they're just wanting to start to investigate. Uh, basketball prospect, but then it said there was also numerous football prospects signed in on the deal. I got you. Uh, football prospect from North Carolina. Things like that, but my thing is Tennessee just got a quarterback. From what I understand, they're already calling him the $8 million man or something like that. Texas A&M's got a kid. They've done bragged about multiple, multi-million dollars. Bryce Young they're saying he's already made well into the millions since he first enrolled at Bama. Right. I mean, hell, last year he inked a deal for a million dollars before the spring game. Or, no, excuse me, it was like the week after the spring game mm-hmm. last year. Where Mr. Ruiz, his entire company has endorsed or invested, if you will, $7 million altogether in all their prospects. But you got two, three players in the league by themselves that's making well more than that. Right. So it's like, is none of this fit? How is none of this over here fishy to y'all or unusual? But this raises red flags. I mean, one thing I do like about this is you look at some of the deals they mentioned. There are two years for $800,000. Two years for 1.2 mil. Shit like that. It's multiple year deals. And to me, if anything, that's a better deal than what's going on with a lot of these kids. At least this one here, he signed into more so of a contract. You know he's going to have to be at least be with the team at the school for multiple years. Actually, no. That's not true. Because if you look at it that way, then he's locked into a contract with the school and not just the NIL partner. That's how they could potentially potentially get Ruiz in trouble with the NIL. If what I'm saying is he's locked into a multi-year deal here. If he's got a two-year deal signed in Miami, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to go in the NFL draft where he might get signed by the Seattle Seahawks up in Seattle. And, and he's got to travel back to Miami. I got you. I thought you meant as far as transfer portal and all that. No. But yeah. at the same time, if you got a two-year deal signed in Miami, how are you going to transfer? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you got a deal inked with this company in this location. The kids true. in North Carolina are inked with companies in their personal location up there. They that's went through true. his agency, but they got deals there. But once you sign a contract with this business in this area, you can't go 600 miles away without breaching your contract. Make a better point there. So more so, if anything, I like it because it kind of locks the kids in where they got to stay at least through this certain amount of time. Right. And if you're staying there, then that means you're staying in school. Right. 
I like that. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and another thing about it is it's, you know, it, it's what they call a quid pro quo. So he's not just signing them just to come play and do like a one-spot sort of deal. I mean, they've got to do, you know, different things to earn the money throughout the, the contract. It's not, it's not just a one-time thing. That's exactly right. And another thing is when you sign actual contracts for multi-years, Normally, there's some rules to those contracts. Yep. Where you gotta be a good citizen. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. You got certain rules you gotta play by. It's not a one-off deal with a random bar somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Where you're signing autographs for one night and shit like that. Right. I at least like the idea of multi-year deals where you're locked in and you have a legit contract. Yeah. So, I just, I thought this was a very interesting article. I am very glad that you brought it to my attention. And to be quite honest, it kind of pissed me off a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, if we're going to look into this, then okay. I have no problem with looking into any of this. But, NCAA, you created this. You agreed, and hey, the players should get played by far. Yeah. By far, no doubt about it. There's too many risks involved with football. Too many long-term injuries. You need to get some kind of feedback from what you put out there. Yeah. Get some kind of revenue. Yeah. But if we're going to investigate one, then we might need to look a little deeper into all of them. Mm -hmm. If we're going to investigate Mr. Ruiz, let's go investigate Mr. Deion Sanders down there. Jackson State, let's go investigate uh, Nick Saban, let's investigate Jim Fisher. let's investigate all these guys yeah. bring these people. let's investigate Maryland that'd be a good one <laughs> that's where you need to start that'd be a good one <laughs> I'm just saying, how many players did they have this year that swapped up on the last minute and changed their commitments two that I know of come on man yeah I don't know it I understand that we do have to have some sort of policing going on with the NIL program. I get it. But what's good for the goose is also good for the gander. I agree with that. I agree. It's just we got to get a little bit of order here. Each state is going to have to go unanimous on the laws. Different states can't have different laws for NIL. It needs to be all... Across the board policy. You need to come out with a federal law. Yes. You need to come out with a federal law. For sure. But at the same time, certain states, it's going to pull a little bit better. Yeah. The great state of Texas, if I'm not mistaken, you don't pay state tax. Texas, Florida... And uh, Tennessee. You don't pay state tax, and I'm pretty sure you don't pay income tax. I know you don't pay state tax. You don't pay state tax. I think you still have to pay income tax. I think. I could be wrong. It might just be the state tax, but still, that's a big chunk of money, man. Yeah. Is there a coincidence Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class? Especially if you're throwing some NIL deals out there, you mentioned, hey, Come up here, you ain't got to worry about taxes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you start breaking down numbers in front of a young kid, man, hey, money talks. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you offer the kids the same amount. Let's just say offer $50,000 at Texas A&M, and then let's just say Tennessee offers another $50,000. Or no, we'll not use Tennessee because Tennessee is also the same state. But let's just say if – Wait a minute, you said Texas A&M and Tennessee? Yeah. Well, not the same state, but they're the same laws. They don't do the income. Okay, okay. I was about to say, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I confused myself there for a second. But let's just say, let's just take Texas A&M and let's just say, for example, Ohio State. All right. $50,000. No income tax, but at Ohio State, you got to pay income tax. So that's going to be less money in your pocket. What you going to do? Go where the money's at, man. Got to. In this day and age, with everything going up in the world, you got to. No doubt about it. No doubt. But, anyways, I agree. We're going to have to come up. There's going to be 
There's going to have to be some kind of federal law to level the board a little bit. This thing's it's a monster, and it's just growing, growing, growing. And NCAA, you, you're trying to fight a giant with a water hose. Let's just put it that way. You're fighting a damn forest fire with one water hose. Yeah. And you can't try to spray one tree down in the entire forest. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. There's just, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. You can't just, you can't just go after one school. If if you want to go after somebody, you can't go just go after one. You've got to investigate everybody. That's exactly right. But let's face it, they didn't break no state laws. They ain't really a whole hell of a lot. That's what they can do with this no, Miami situation. It's quick pro quo. Like you said, he's locked into a contract down there in Florida, down there in Miami, the Miami area. But he's not locked into a contract with the school. So they can't say that it was a contract strictly to go to that school because he could transfer out and go to you know someplace like you know Central Florida or someplace you know close like that that he could play ball at and still receive his contract. Yeah, got a point. Hell, even then, as long as it ain't signed into a university, all they got to say is, hey, nobody forced him to sign this contract. He signs down on dotted line. If he wants to leave, he can leave. But we want our money back. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Absolutely. But with all that being said, I think that's going to wrap up our portion of the news. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit of hokey football. Yes, sir. Why don't we discuss it? Blacksburg, Virginia. Inner Sandman going crazy. Often never, never land. Yes, sir. Let me tell you something. Before we even discuss what we saw on the field, <laughs> I just want to mention right off the rip what we've seen in the stands. Virginia Tech, I got to give it to y'all. That was by far the loudest, rowdiest, and probably best environment. I've seen in any spring game this entire spring. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I thought Clemson was going nuts. I thought South Carolina was going nuts. Hell, even the few fans that, that were there at Miami that we could see, they were going nuts. But nothing compared to the entrance that Virginia Tech made with Inner Sandman. Well, I mean, the fact that they're trying to interview Brent Pride down there. And you can't hear what he's saying. Yeah, you're having a hard time hearing him, and he can't hardly hear a reporter. He's asking a reporter to repeat herself. He's already halfway lost his mind. Freed up said he lost his mind for a minute there running out that tunnel. I mean, you can literally see the goosebumps going down this man's arm. But, I mean, even when it goes back to the booth, you hear the people talking, and all you hear in the background is the fans just singing along with the music and just raising hell. I mean, I'd have never guessed this team's record was what it was last year. I'd never guessed. Yeah. I mean, it's stagnant and bad is what the product was on the football field last year. Mm-hmm. Complete opposites. Complete turnaround. Yeah. And I mean, the energy and electricity you get from the head coach, but also at the same time you get that authority, kind of that command. Yeah. I think this is a home run hire. I really do. I really 100% agree with that. And then the game started. And you look at what's going on out there on the field. I mean, we had a good idea with film coming out from spring practices down there that this was a big difference. But (laughs) this was also one of the more physical and high-energy games I've seen on the field. Yeah. I mean, it was... I mean, the hitting... I mean, just, you know, players going to battle, man. Play in and play out. Nobody taking a rep rep off. I mean, it was just a pure physical battle. It was like a Saturday night football game. Or or better yet, a Friday night football game in Blacksburg. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was... I mean, you could hear the pop. When when the fans wouldn't shout, you could hear the pops, you know, on the pads and just watch the hits and I mean, you hear the pop of the pads, and you hear the pop of the crowd. I mean, yeah. it was 
it was crazy. I mean, they just very high energy. The line of scrimmage, both offensive line and defensive line, that was well-matched. Very, very much well-matched. Very, very, very high energy, high contact, extremely physical, which is something Virginia Tech has lacked. Speaking of physical, man, was it just me or did those linebackers all seem like they were hit hunters? First and second string. Oh, the linebackers look phenomenal. The secondary looked to be very good, but at times they did give up some big gaps. A little concern there, but at the same time. It's still concerning, but it looked like a better product than what they had on the field last season. Last couple of years. Yeah. Last couple of years for sure. But even then also, hell, a lot of the plays was just receivers making plays with the feed after the fact. I mean, sometimes it was great coverage. And just a absolutely perfect place ball by the quarterback. I mean, you just you can't you can't even imagine a ball going in some of these places, and you're like, "Holy shit! How did he make that?" Yeah, how how did that end up where it was? For real, you got a quarterback battle going on down there, mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to be a very close quarterback. Competition, but I, me personally, I'm gonna go ahead and throw my personal opinion out there. After your spring game, Grant Wells is gonna be your number one quarterback. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I figured it's gonna be the other way around with JB, Jason Brown. But you know, coming out of South Carolina, the you know the games that he had, you know, I figured that he would just take it by the reins, man. But but that kid from Marshall, man, just looked. Like a total different quarterback. He looked like he was a seasoned quarterback that has played in the big leagues. I mean, he's played. He's been a two-year starter at Marshall. He's played in some very big games, won a lot of football games for Marshall, which has been a struggle for that university Mm -hmm. the last decade, really. Played really well with them. And it just, to me... He showed up with a chip on his shoulder. He just had that fire. He's, he's carried that all the way through spring practice. And you've seen last year, he plays always with a ginormous chip on his shoulder, a boulder, if you will. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. He ain't afraid to sling the ball either. No, no, no. He really – me personally, it really came off me almost like a, a Brett Favre vibe, if you will. I mean – Yeah, big gunslingers. Yeah, no guts, no glory. Yep. This young man, you're going to see some interceptions this year, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. There's going to be some times where he's going to make you want to beat your head on the wall. Yep. But this kid has got the arm, talent. There's no denying it. He's going to throw it in some very tight windows, and there's going to be a lot of times where it pays off. There's going to be a lot of touchdowns. There's going to be some times where it doesn't pay off. Yep. And you're going to be screaming, why did you throw that ball and get that kid off the field? Absolutely. But he also has the mobility and the athleticism to match the arm talent, which yeah. is really rare. I mean, he showed some of that during the spring game, taking off scrambling, creating time in the pocket to extend plays, but then also pulling the ball down and taking off and running off a few plays. And I'll be honest, there were several plays there. They blew him dead, but if, it, if that was a real full contact game, I think he'd still be running. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And the great thing about having a dual-threat quarterback that can take off and run, that can throw the ball as a linebacker, you have to stay home, which is going to open up the running game. And we did, in fact, see a good running game from Virginia Tech. Something they've been missing. Yeah. They were definitely missing last year. I haven't seen that since 2020 when they had Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert, man, he was – a hell of a running back, but I believe this coming year, the way that offensive line looked out there, the way the running back just played with that explosion, shoulders going down, he just, he had the minds, the pure mindset of taking the punishment to them. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to be the hammer. He ain't going to be the nail. He's going to be the one that takes the hit to you. Oh, absolutely, man. That's one thing that I loved about the kid is you never saw the feet stop moving. You know, with some of these running backs that you see now, they want to get up to the line and kind of dance around and wait for a hole to open. This kid's going to create his own hole. Absolutely. 
If he gets that ball in his hand and the holes close up, he's going to down those shoulders and he's at least going to get you. He's going to make sure he gets two, three yards. Yeah. He's going to make it at least a couple yard gain on that play. He's not going to wait around and wait for that hit and risk losing yards. Instead, he's going to take the punishment to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to see that run back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't just number one run back. I mean, it threw the depth chart. Yeah. Every running back that I saw. And I mean, I had a feeling before the game started, that's what we're going to see because you asked Brent Pryde and they asked him, said, what is the one thing you want to see out of your team today? And to quote him the best I can, he said, I just want to see them compete like crazy. He said, I want to see these kids compete their asses off. I don't think he said that part, but. (laughs) He said he wanted to see physicality and he wanted to see competition. That's right. And that was the biggest thing all through spring practice with this team was physicality. Mm -hmm. This team has lost its physicality. And also defense. They have lost their defense over the years. And the offense was an extremely pleasant surprise, but the defense impressed me a ton mm-hmm. also because the defensive line, the linebackers flew to the football. The secondary did a pretty good job coverage, but the defensive line more than anything just impressed the hell out of me because it wasn't everybody just flying upfield trying to make a tackle in the backfield and because a lot of times when you get guys that go too far upfield, you're going to miss tackles, and the next thing you know is 15, 20 yards to the next man. That's how you get big plays. Yeah. This D-line was very smart. You could tell they were coached very smart. They would fire off the ball. They would get up under the O-line, and they would fill their gaps. But then you see them break down and read plays instead mm-hmm. of going upfield. The defensive ends, instead of just pinning their back every play, they would take that two-yard Two yards upfield, they break down. They'd be right there where they could read the play, but then they'd wait home. They'd wait and read the play before they pursued. Yeah, absolutely, man. You could actually see them, you know, you can watch their head and tell that they were actually reading the play and then reacting to what they saw instead of just that one track, you know, heat-seeking missile sort of thing. That's right. They're sitting there saying, okay, my first job is I got to sit here. I got to secure the edge. I got to contain the outside. Then once I do that, then I can pursue and push the play back in. And that's all you can ask from a defensive line. If you get a sack on first down and second down, and then on third down you give up a 30-yard play, or you get a two-yard tackle for a loss on first down, but on second down they run the ball again, and you give up 15 yards, I don't care about that. I would rather see you lock down the line of scrimmage and get a one-yard for a loss or give up one yard and lock it down and get a team off the field. Yeah. You know, it's all well and good when you have, you know, the all-star on the field, two all-stars on the field. But, you know, you're not going to be able to make every play. And as a team, you got to have that team mentality that, you know, it takes the team to actually get you off the field, you know, stop them, you know, for the, you know, the fourth and longs or the fourth and, you know, whatever. It, it, it's a team effort. It's not just a me. It's a we. I can just tell you, man, flat out. <clears throat> you got a guy that's going upfield every play, just going wide open. Penzier's back going every play. That same man is going to be burnt, slap out. If you don't stop him in three plays, he's toast for the next two or three plays. He's going to be taking plays off. Oh, absolutely, man. He's going to be going to the sideline looking for oxygen. And it's. It's a lot easier to take two steps. You're still burning energy fighting off offensive line, but it's a lot easier to take two steps, create a little bit of separation, read a play, and then react than it is to just run wide open trying to push a sled of a person every single play. Absolutely, man. Just as an example, let's take a look at your defending national champions in Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs. They had a hell of a defense, but it wasn't just one or two men. I mean, they had playmakers all on the front line. They had playmakers at linebacker. They had playmakers, you know, in your D-backs, man. I mean, you know, you just didn't have the one or two men just running up the field, you know, causing havoc. Everybody was involved. Exactly. And see, when you got a great linebacker core and defensive backs, you don't have to have that defensive line that's flying to get a sack every play because if you can lock down – Lock down the secondary. You're buying your D-line time. Lock those receivers down four or five seconds. If you can give me five seconds, 
One of us can be at that quarterback. Oh, absolutely. Five, six seconds. One of us can be there. If you can hold it down that long. And when you make a quarterback wait that long and a receiver's not open, then he's got to have that thought in his head, oh, no, nobody's open, so either I'm going to have to throw this ball away or I'm going to have to force a throw or I'm going to get hit. Yeah, or I'm just going to have to take off with it and get what I can. In which case, I'm going to get hit. Yeah. Quarter, I'm going to tell you right now, quarterbacks do not like being hit. No. <laughs> Hell no. You want to see an upset individual, let a quarterback get hit. All right. Let him get hit two or three times and watch what he does on that sideline. I guarantee your offensive line is going to get ruined. Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. You let him get hit two plays in a row. Look at him on the sideline. He's having a complete damn meltdown. <laughs> yes, he is. Like a 10-year-old kid getting his <laughs> toys taken away. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, I mean, I love seeing this defense doing what it's doing. Offensively, that to me, I expect this defense to be great, but offensively, that was probably the most pleasant surprise out of all of it because the biggest part of getting Justin Fuente out of there was this guy is supposed to be a defensive coach and our defense stinks. Yeah. Our offense is terrible, but we don't even have a defense to hold up to this. Right. You haven't had a good defense. Since the days of, um, oh shit, what the hell's his name? Frank Beamer's assistant coach, DC, for a long time. I know you're talking about, I can't remember either, but the days of Frank Beamer, man, we'll just say that. Days of Frank Beamer, I mean, you had a defense, you had, you know, a good offense, and you also had special teams play, man. And, you know, it just, it's just a very pleasant surprise. And that's, that's what I like about this hire with Brent Pride. He's coming in from the Frank Beamer era. He's bringing back the glory that was Virginia Tech. I mean, it's it's just it's a very pleasant surprise, and I love to see it. Anytime that you can, you know, come back with, you know, try to bring a team back to glory, back to what they were. Bud Foster, back in the Bud Foster days. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Glad you could glad you could find that. But yeah, Bud Foster, man, he was a hell of a DC. Absolutely, man. I mean, the turnovers he forced and everything else. Virginia Tech was known for Beamer Ball. Beamer Ball. Score no matter who's on the field. Absolutely. And that Hokie defense used to be known, just notorious, for taking the ball away from everybody, forcing turnovers and all that. Pick sixes, scooping scores, you know, just recovering fumbles, man. And it was just crazy. In the last couple of years, they've been known for not getting off the field. <laughs> They've been known for getting the score run up. And their offense has been known for not being able to keep up in a scoring competition. Yeah. So, Brent Pry coming in there, him having his great defensive history, always been known for having outstanding defenses everywhere he's been. Yep. I knew this defense was going to upgrade. I was excited about it. But to see this offense take off the way it has, hell, I haven't seen a Virginia Tech offense that gave me excitement in years. Yeah. Well, especially a quarterback that, you know, is this exciting with throwing the ball or, you know, when he takes off the run. You haven't seen that in six, seven, eight years. Exactly. I mean, you had Hendon Hooker two years ago. Hendon Hooker two years ago was not Hendon Hooker. He was last year with Tennessee. Right. He gave you glimpses of excitement, but he was extremely inconsistent. Right. To say the least. Really, you haven't seen a quarterback that can give you this kind of excitement with Virginia Tech. I mean, I'll be honest, it's Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. I mean, he's got the mobility to match it. He's got the arm strength. Am I saying he's going to be a first-round draft pick? I'm not going to say that. No. I'm not going to put that kind of pressure on that young man. But am I going to say that he can be a very big difference maker with this Virginia Tech offense that he can be – he can make Virginia Tech football extremely fun to watch this fall. 100%. What I will say is the kid has potential, and I'm excited to see what that potential will bring. Absolutely. And the best part is, man, he's got a rushing game to match it. Oh, yeah. He's got an offensive line that's going to have his back. Yeah. And the receiving core. The receivers, I mean, they look <laughs> damn impressive. Absolutely, man. I just – 
it's funny because I watched the spring game back in the spring when it happened, and I was extremely surprised. And I hadn't watched it much till recently. But since then, I had read an article where a lot of people were saying who's going to be the cellar dwellers at ACC this year with other programs stepping up and whatnot. And I've seen numerous articles predicting Virginia Tech to be a four-win, five-win at best team its first year under Brent Pry. Saying, it, saying that it's going to be the bottom of the barrel for a year or two and it's going to take a lot of time to build this program up. And I think you're going to have a very damn competitive program year one. I think you're going to have a program that's going to win a fair amount of football games Absolutely. in year one. I think you're looking at a bowl winning a bowl game team in year one. Absolutely. I agree with that. Out of all the spring games I've seen, I don't think I've seen anywhere a program has just looked unrecognizable from year one to year two. I mean, don't get me wrong, I said something kind of similar in the Miami podcast. Mm-hmm. And I stand by that. Miami really surprised me with how they looked. But I would love, love, love to see Miami and Virginia Tech. I would love to see that game. Absolutely. I wish it was week one. (laughs) Because, I mean, this is just going to be very similar programs. But I'll be honest, I think Virginia Tech might look even better in Miami right now at this moment. Miami might have a little bit of an edge in the quarterback position. Maybe, but I think you're looking at two very identical programs. But as far as overall improvement across the board, I think Virginia Tech's actually got a little bit of an edge there from where they were last year this year. I think the two teams are matched pretty well when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. I think that as it stands right now, I think Miami's got a better quarterback but I do think that Virginia Tech would have the better receivers and probably the better running back. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to go with that. It's just, if you're a Hokie fan, man. It's your time to shine. It's a hell of a time to get excited. Yes, sir. You got something to look forward to this year. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's going to be going to be a fun time down there in Blacksburg this year. You mean up there? Up there in Blacksburg. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Lane Stadium is going to be rocking. I guarantee that season, that first home game of the year, it's going to feel like a damn earthquake. Damn ground's going to be shaking. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think we're going to feel it down here in South Carolina. I really do. <laughs> I'm telling you. Especially once <laughs> once uh, Inner Sandman hits the damn speakers, bullshit is going to go crazy. Well, that's another thing, too. We talk about Miami. But Virginia Tech's got their own stadium. Yeah. On campus. Yep. And it's for years been known as one of the toughest places to play. Yep. It sure is. And, you know, the thing about, you know, Virginia Tech, man, I mean, like you said, they just have every aspect of it, man. It's. It's a college town. It's close to campus. You've got, you know, everywhere close that you can go to watch a game, like you were talking about, that uh, that little establishment right close to the field where, you know, when they score, you can feel a cannon go off in your chest. I mean, that's just... Tots. Tots yes. of the stairs. Home of the, ra- home of the rail grade. <laughs> but, man, I tell you what, it is a hell of a time to be a Hokie fan. It really is. And there's just such a deep culture in this school. Yeah. It's just. And I mean, even when things aren't going that good for Virginia Tech, the fans, you all really stuck with them. You really did. I mean, yes, you lost a lot of fans coming to the stadium, but I mean, there's been no loss, you know, on the message boards or anything like that of fans that, you know, are really truly hokey fans. Absolutely. I just, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm excited as shit for them. Me personally, I'm excited as hell to yeah. watch Virginia Tech this year. It's one of the teams I'm going to try my best to follow very closely yes, this year. Which, then again, I've always, can't say I always have, but 
I've liked the Hokies pretty good for several years, and ever since I visited Blacksburg years ago, I was down there for a weekend, man, and I seen the culture, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is awesome. You can't, you just, you fall in love with the place when you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really cool place. Just as an outsider looking in, man, I mean, I always knew about Virginia Tech, but I never really followed them very close until this last year. But, man, you just, again, like you said, you just fall in love with the atmosphere, man. I mean, you know, especially, you know, I keep going back to it, but when Inner Sandman hits, everybody goes crazy. The the stadium starts rocking, man. You can't help but just jump along and get excited with them. No doubt about it. Well, with all that being said, man, you got anything else you want to touch on this? Uh, no, no, I think I'm good to go, man. All right. Well, with all that being said, I think we're going to wrap this one up. I just want to say thank y'all. Thank you all very much for tuning in. We appreciate y'all interacting with social media. It's really picked up the last couple weeks. Words cannot express how much we appreciate that, how thankful we are. And I cannot wait to see it just get more and more and more. The more y'all interact, the more I love this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if it, if it wasn't for you all, you know, we'd get bored with doing stuff like this. You know, you just, y'all just keep it going. That's right. Thanks to y'all, we can make football season year-round. Every, yes, every day's game day around here. Yes, sir. So, once again, thank y'all. And like I've always say, share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with whoever you want to. Hit that like button. Subscribe. Follow us. Do whatever you got to do. But most importantly, keep those drinks cold. And let's keep those chains moving. Absolutely, man. We appreciate y'all. And don't forget to like and share.